Hey friends, and welcome to this episode of the Canby Bible College Curiosity Project. I'm James, and it's a privilege to introduce you to the president of Great Northern University, Dr. Wendy Liddell. She and I sit down in this episode to talk about the need for courageous leadership and new opportunities. She's an entrepreneur and an academic and a great leader. She's in charge of Great Northern University, which is a brand new Christian higher education um, institute in Spokane, Washington. And our conversation today focuses on the work required to do something new and great for the kingdom of God, as well as some of the very practical and tactical leadership lessons around running meetings well, building great relationships with your team, and how to communicate clearly to create alignment and effectiveness. Great episode. Hope you enjoy it. If you have any questions about Canby Bible College's model for a debt-free approach to Christian higher education, check us out online at canbybiblecollege.org. Enjoy this episode with Dr. Wendy Liddell. Dr. Wendy Liddell, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so grateful that you've been able to make some time to be able to sit down and talk with us. This is Dr. Wendy Liddell. She is the president of Great Northern University in Spokane, Washington, which is this vibrant and young uh, Christian higher education liberal arts institute here in the beautiful city of Spokane uh, that started just this last academic year. And so, Wendy, thank you for making some time to sit down with us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you came to be the president of this fine institution. Great. Well, I a little bit about my own history. I am the daughter of, of educators, so my parents were public educators. I grew up in a home that loved education. And maybe not surprisingly, I planned to go into engineering. So that was my initial plan going into college. But as the Lord grabbed hold of my heart at University of Idaho, I left college with a desire to serve the church and a, a deep desire, not knowing exactly what that looked like, but a deep desire to serve the church. I met my husband within the next year or so. He was church planting up on the north side of Spokane. We married, and I took a job that that paid the bills and paid our insurance. Um, if you're familiar with kind of starting anything new, there's not a lot of funds, and we were, we were 23, super young, and so that was the next seven years I taught in a public school system just to kind of help us make it through with still a desire to serve the church. So my husband and I uh, were on mission trips together and, and spent a lot of time in those contexts. Uh, how I ended up here, about the age of 30, I had a chance to transition and really think about what would I do if I wasn't paid, which is a great question to think about. Like, if I could do anything, what would I want to do? And I found myself saying that I wanted to equip the collegiate generation to change the world for Christ. And the, the context that seemed to fit best was in higher education for me at that time. So I transitioned to a job at, at my former institution and worked in that role for about 10 years. And then in this new, new institution, Great Northern University, I was part of the team that really that God brought together to start this work. And in December of 2017, the faculty, my colleagues, asked if I would serve as the president, which was honored to do so. Now, I'm fascinated by that. You get this invitation to serve as kind of a leader among equals. Correct. I met some of these faculty members. These are all deeply educated, godly men and women. Mm -hmm. And they said, Wendy, would you please lead us into this future that's still very unknown? Yeah. What, how did you feel when that request came and how did you process that? Very honored. Um, very, very honored. And humbled because you're right they're an incredible group of men and women who have a broad background in various leadership roles so as you mentioned they're not only educators but they're leaders 
Um, they're in people who want to make a deep impact in the world around them. And really just, I was humbled because any one of them could have taken this role and that they would ask me to do so in this season really, I think, embodies the classic model of higher education, that you are among equals and you're serving in the role among equals. Um, so deeply I, amazed. I, I think I should point out, it, it wasn't for no reason that they asked you, because up to this mm-hmm. point, you had just you had earned a PhD in mm-hmm. education from Correct. Azusa Pacific. Correct. Tell us a little bit about the rigor of that process and the kind of character that's required to accomplish getting a PhD. Sure. That's a great question. Well, the impetus for actually getting the the PhD was that I had been in a higher education institution and I was moving into various leadership roles and realized that I was making decisions that impacted people's lives. And I I had looked at that in 2010 or so and thought, okay, if I want to spend my life in higher education and I'm impacting people, my choices are impacting people's lives, I probably need some credentialing and to stay in this field, and then second, I need an education that equips me to understand the complexities of higher education. So that was the impetus for going back, part of the impetus for going back. And then as any doctoral process, typically it's rigorous. It's designed to be rigorous, designed to cause you to think well and critically. You're producing original research in that process. So I started in 2011, I defended in 2017, and completed the process in 2018. So it was, it was a multi-year, very demanding, very demanding engagement, but I was grateful, grateful mm-hmm. for the opportunity to study, grateful for the opportunity to learn. I think it's foundational to my role right now sure. in understanding how best start an institution, yeah. uh, what to think about, where to really focus and where not to focus. There's so much that goes into doing anything in its inception stages. Mm-hmm. You're in the startup where um, everybody on the team carries multiple different responsibilities. I was just talking with a faculty member who was like, I sometimes function as the janitor. Tell me a little bit about, you've had a long career already in education. Mm-hmm. You've gotten both a master's and a PhD in, a field, you know, in, in that field. Give me a little sense for the kind of leadership principles that are in the back of your mind as you lead a, an educational startup like Great Northern University. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, James, it's interesting that you asked that question. I look back on my own background, and I've been fascinated by leadership from a young age. And so in my 20s, what books, I was reading books on leadership. And I remember reading at that time a book where somebody had said that in leadership that you start early and you don't see the results for decades. So to become a strong leader, it doesn't start, it didn't start last year when I was asked. I would say that it started decades ago with this desire to shape and to influence people and to really use the gifts God has given me and was developed over that time. So I think about what shapes me and I would say there's just a deep well that started early in addition to to gifting from Christ, but of reading and learning and watching people and conversations with leaders and even now in this last year and a half, two years, I've read a lot of books on startups mm-hmm. and a lot of books on innovation hmm. because obviously I didn't plan to start up an institution and I did not, and knowing that it requires innovation and entrepreneurship. So this even stage of leadership has caused me to delve into places uh that I didn't expect, but know that there's others who have written about this. There's others who have testified. 
There's things that um, have been normalized as I've read through books on startups and, and blogs and talked with people that I thought, oh, this is, this is normal, this kind of challenge right now when everybody's acting as the janitor and cleaning toilets. I thought, yeah, this, this is relatively normal for startups yeah. because you're starting up. Um, so that's helped too. You started this by saying that I I felt from an early age that mm-hmm. like I want to make a difference by training up a collegiate generation to make a difference for Christ. Yeah. I, I forget who said it. Something like um, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Mm-hmm. We were talking earlier about God's faithfulness in this yeah. whole process. Can you reflect a little bit about how you've seen God's faithfulness come through in significant ways as Great Northern has kind of arisen to where it is now? but also the kind of work and effort required to be able to make that happen. Sure. That's a great question. I there's a first part of there's a, a verse in First Thessalonians that talks about faith being hard and hope being long suffering to look it up. But it, it, it carries this idea that when we're walking out the Christian life that there's some degree of, of struggle, that we're not in the Garden of Eden anymore, um, that there's thorns and thistles. There's aspects of this that require more of us than we expect. So when I look back on starting this process, you know, it it began really with kind of what seemed to be a tragic moment of essentially everyone losing their job um, when the campus closure was announced here, at least for the the biblical studies programs. um, Moody Aviation is still continuing on. but So it started with a job loss, and then it also was compounded by hundreds of students watching you lose your job and wanting to, to live this sort of how, do, how does the Christian respond to tragedy well and how do you acknowledge God's sovereignty yeah. while walking through places of suffering that will require change. Um, and in this case, ones that necessarily you didn't want to happen. And then out of that, that place seeking the Lord and saying, well, what's next and what do you have and what are you doing in this? And this emerging in us and in the community around us that the work here was not finished and that God was asking us in some way to join him on this journey of of continuing to keep a presence of biblically grounded Christian higher education here in Spokane and in the Northwest um, to give students an option of an education that's from Christians to Christians um, that's doctrinally based in a set of evangelical um, statements. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then you have this coming out of a movement of faith, but then you're right, James, it's, it's really, there's work. I, there's, there's no other way to say it than there's work. Uh, our initial application to the state was 503 pages. Um, we were required to have a full faculty handbook, a full student catalog, a policy handbook for employees. I mean, there's just a lot of, of work um, to put things into place. And, um, and that, that's been very real and felt in late nights and tired eyes and, um, knowing what you know now, yeah. imagine if you could go back and tell yourself from a year ago when this process first started, what would you want to say to your younger self about like how to survive in this process and how to thrive? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there'd be, maybe that's probably a little premature, (laughs) I don't know if there'd be something that I'd add right now because right now I I, I think well, there's been some missteps in some places where I just have you know thought oh, we'll do that differently, sure. um, but there haven't really been any other places that I 
I would have told myself then to do it, and I was still, if I would go back, I'd say do it. And do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord with your full engagement. Um, It's interesting. When I looked at this experience and was praying about what God was saying and what he was doing, I did have a sense of the Lord saying, you can choose not to go here. You can choose not to join this work. That There's a, a sense of choice in it. But I remember also looking at this and thinking, I, if this was the Lord and I missed it, it would be the biggest regret of my life. Hmm. And I often have that sense, but there was a, that moment where I remember thinking, if, this, if God is in this and this is him, then I want to be part of it. Yeah. You know, I don't want to miss the journey. Yeah. Um, and I think about the Old Testament and the, the stories and the narratives. I thought, uh, if Paul, you know, if, if I was asked to sign up to leave Egypt, I didn't want to... I didn't want to miss that, you know. If Paul asked me to go on his journey, missionary journey, I wouldn't want to miss that. Um, and I, people have the people of God have, and so there was, there was an acknowledgement that um, I don't know where this is going. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know if we're going to make it out of whatever stage. Sure. Um, but God has, seems to be in it, and He seems yeah. to be guiding us, and He's calling a group of people and a community to do this. Yeah. And I wanted to be. Wanted to be in. What do you think you've learned about God's faithfulness in seasons of uncertainty? Yeah. You met, just mentioned, you know, you get, say, called out of Egypt, but you can't see the promised mm-hmm. land yet. And so there's always this in-between time yeah. when you feel like you're probably going the right direction. But, you know, like leadership, you, you don't necessarily see all of the outcomes immediately. Mm-hmm. What encouragement would you give someone who's going through a similar situation of like, I, I want to start something. I feel like God's calling me in this direction, but I, I can't quite see it yet. Yeah, yeah that's a good question. I mean, I, I know when I looked at this, this was when you evaluate, when we, there was a group of us that got together and evaluated, is it, God is doing something. Um, this proposition seems risky, but when we evaluated the risk, there was a sense that, in which it also was seemed to be a wise risk, like that we were the people who could do this sort of project. Our backgrounds aligned, the holes were fitting, um, so when I also think about people doing things, I'd say you want to be wise. You don't want to start building a tower that you can't finish. So there has to be an element in which you look at this and say, and I, I think we did a lot of that soul searching, like, is this a tower that we could build? And it, if, if God's in it and, and there's there's some more factors to this, could we finish this? And um, there seemed to be. So I, that would be one point of evaluating, is this a why? Is the Lord in this? Is this wise? Can we finish the tower? Um, Would be one piece to that. I think the other piece that I've been reminded of is to be, end of Corinthians talks about being steadfast and immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. And I do truly draw upon the narrative of that wandering generation. You know, when they came up in the wilderness and they were thirsty and they doubted God, that God would not, they doubted that God would see their need. So in this aspect of leading, seeking to be wise, to work hard, to pray, to seek the Lord, to walk with His Spirit, mm-hmm. but also then to trust that He sees the needs that are ahead, yeah. and that if He's in this, He'll meet those needs, and He's aware of those needs. Um, and I, He's trustworthy in that, which yeah. has a little bit of like holding steady to it, yeah. you know, that... Yeah you see a bridge coming and there doesn't seem to be, or you see a river coming or a chasm coming and there doesn't seem to be a bridge across the chasm, but yet you still continue walking, trusting that 
that God will build the bridge or place the bridge in, in place or that you just don't see it yet yeah. and it's going to show up. Yeah. Um, so there has been, too, a sense of that emotional, spiritual yeah. kind of trust in the Lord yeah. that he's in this. And and if he's in this, then he'll provide. Oh, my God. I love just this consistent theme in your experience in this process of becoming the president of Great Northern of both a strong confidence in God's unwavering grace and faithfulness Mm -hmm. that as he guides, he also provides while also being very clear eyed um, about the amount of effort and intentionality and wholeheartedness required Mm -hmm. to make anything great. Uh, get off the ground, you yeah. know, the amount of energy a rocket expends in fuel just to break through the atmosphere. Yeah. You know, those startup, that the energy required to start something up is so significant. Yeah. Um, but I love that connection between both the faithfulness of God on one hand and the, the determined kind of self-sacrificial effort yeah. on the other. Yeah. Now, you've got both, you know, a bachelor's, a master's, and now a PhD. Mm-hmm. You've read hundreds, if not thousands, of books in your lifetime. Think back to yourself as a younger leader mm-hmm. starting out. What would have been one of the books you would have recommended to yourself in terms of something that really helped shape your leadership and your quality? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll give you one that I love right now. Oh, please. It's called The Steward Leader. Okay. It was written by... Scott Rodine, um, and the reason I love it is it's written from a theological standpoint. Okay. So it talks about leadership as stewardship, that if God is the owner of all things, and then what does that mean yeah. then as we're leaders? It means mm-hmm. that we're actually a steward of what he's given us, yeah. that we're not an owner, that we don't control what he's given us, but we actually steward it according to, to his works and his plans yeah. and his principles. And um, there are other pieces of that, but that's hands down right now my favorite one and it's new but I think it's expressed a lot of what I've loved of this idea of how do I as a child of God do the work of God um, in a way that honors him and I remember this imagery another one that has shaped and it's going to be an image an image story and it comes out of I think like a Max Lucado book sure Uh, but I'll, I'll give you the other image that shaped a lot of from a young age or from my 20s really a lot of my leadership has been this sense of and the this book tells the story of a, a young boy who's down at the seashore and he's building a sandcastle and he's building it with all the creativity and the effort and the energy and the joy that he can but yet as with the tides coming in the waves come in they crash in and they take down the sandcastle as would happen but at the moment that that was happening the little boy instead of looking with sorrow and grief upon the sandcastle being destroyed, kind of grabs his father's hand and waves with joy at what he's been able to accomplish and walks back with his father to his father's house. Hmm. So what that image is meant for me is that God is the giver. I mean, he gives and he takes away. So what he's given me to, what he's given us, what he's placed before us to do, we're called to do it to his glory um, with his gifts and there comes a day where he can take it away at any point in time. And our response is not to be sorrowful, but to be joyful for the experience and the opportunity and to trust him that his timing is good and, um, and that my security really is the destination. It's the Father's house where there are many rooms. It's, it's the final destination, that this is the part of the journey. The destination is for eternity. 
um, and there's security in that. So that's another image right now that, that stayed with me for some reason. And again, it was like in one of those Max Licato, like Easter books, Passion Week. It seems so basic, but it just, it was comforting to me because I thought, I don't, I don't need to worry. God's in control. Yeah. He's placed before me what he wants to place before me to do. Yeah. I just need to do it. I'm reminded of, I think I learned it from N.T. Wright. He was reflecting on 1 Corinthians 15, that long passage that deals with the resurrection. Yeah. And at the very end of the resurrection, he says, so therefore let us work and not lose heart. Hmm. Which is a very funny thing to say at the end of a passage about kind of death and, you know, kind of what comes after. And what Wright seemed to suggest there was that that in God's economy, all that we do for the sake of the kingdom of God that's done with love and grace gets wrapped up into God's economy, that it's not lost, that it, nothing yeah. is futile, nothing is, um, nothing is lost forever. Yeah. Um, and I love that idea of, you're right, we don't know what the future mm-hmm. may hold, but that shouldn't stop us from doing the best we can with what we have and the resources yeah. in the moment. So I love that. So we're up here kind of in the realm of philosophy and yeah. kind of metaphor. I want to, I want to bring us okay. back down one more time, just to the realm of the very tactical. Yeah. Now, often in academics, um, it often has a um, a very bureaucratic reputation, and certainly on the team. And, and, yeah. But I, so I'm curious about your role actually as a leader in a meeting context. So meetings, I'm, I'm fascinated by the role of meetings in mm-hmm. organizational life. It's where a lot of work gets done, collaboration occurs, objectives get set, things get reported on, but it also becomes what often feels like such an organizational tax takes us away from our work we have to you know have meetings to prepare for the meetings that we're in and things like that give me your perspective as someone who both sits in a lot of meetings but also leads them what do you do to to think about how you make sure the meetings that are that you're responsible for are run effectively yeah that's a great question i think that always begins with the question i mean this is kind of simon you know, why, why are we having the yeah, meeting? Simon Sinek start with yeah, why, Simon, yeah. yeah, start with why, mm-hmm. which is always the purpose in yeah. my mind too. Like, why are we here? What are we doing? Um, so the question of why are we meeting and what do we need to accomplish and what does the meeting need to look like for us to accomplish that? Yeah. So I hate wasted time in meetings. Sure. Um, the commitment that I've made to my team is that if I can put it in an email, I'll put it in an email sure. that I don't need yeah. to bring to a meeting what I could write down. Yeah. in an email yeah. and I, I'm going to expect you to read it mm-hmm. because you don't want to sit through a meeting where we talk about it. So there's some layers of culture and expectation with that. Um, also in an academic environment, it's usually typically pretty decentralized. So I may have some faculty who are out speaking during one of my meetings. So on a regular, probably a week, I aim for a weekly basis. I send out a weekly email to everyone who's employed by GNU mm-hmm. with everything. Um, that they need to know. So our meetings then become typically about um, sometimes current information, discussions, and again, that starts with the why. So really, why are we getting together and what are we doing here? Uh, Other types of meetings that I have, and and our big university meetings that I lead, usually there's a lot of clarification, communication, engagement, Uh, discussion, prayer. And some of our smaller meetings, uh, we just came out of a, I told you, a strategic planning, which was connected to our budgeting process. That was about a six-hour meeting with four of us. And it was very, I mean, we agreed on what we wanted to do, the process, and then it was a very collaborative space where I was one of many, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the four, you know, as we're working through strategy for next year. Um, and they agreed upon that strategy when we came into the meeting. This is what we need to do to get to here. Here's our goal for the day. 
we probably need one more meeting after this to finish up this project. Um, so I, again, I, I always start with why, and then I think you structure it out of yeah. that. And maybe that's my teaching background. Sure. What do we, what's the objective for today's lesson? <laughs> How do we lead the group to accomplish the objective? How do we assess that they've accomplished the objective? Yeah. And then everything structures down from there. So much of leadership is about relationships mm -hmm. and I'm a pretty task driven person. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of expect that the relationship is going to be okay unless somebody raises a red flag or something yeah. like that. Um, and so sometimes I wonder if like a weakness in my leadership is that I'm too focused on the task and not enough focus on helping kind of build relationships. What have you kind of seen done well when it comes to having a team begin to connect relationally around each other to accomplish the stuff yeah. that needs to be done? That's a great question. I mean, we're in a unique, I think there's things you can probably read, um, books that you can read on how to establish a team. I, I know for myself, one piece has been listening and then responding appropriately. So for instance, last summer, um, it came out that communication, because we were decentralized during the summer and really a decentralized organization, it came out that communication was not getting to people in timely ways or manners. And, um, and I heard that. Somebody said, Wendy, we're, I don't feel like I know what's going on, which is code for you're not communicating uh, in my mind. So I, that was when I instituted this weekly email that just went out yeah. um, to everyone, to the board, um, to the faculty, to the staff, and said, okay, here's what's going on. Questions, you know, ask me questions that we can answer. Yeah. And if I can't answer them, I'll let you know. But in general, there's a lot that can be answered. So that was one piece where I saw that bringing a degree of collective knowledge, which also helped people feel like they were part of the team if they had knowledge and information. Um, and then the other pieces I also, in that listening piece, listening to others who are more relational than I am. So again, came back, um, we should have a gathering of all of us together. Mm. Okay, great. Let's facilitate that. Yeah. And again, I, I find that when I create spaces where people feel free to, to vo voice opinions, then what comes up are things that people are needing that then you know, from that point on can all still be put into systems that are put into place to help meet the needs that are there. Wonderful. So. Awesome. Any last words of wisdom or advice for us? No, I don't think so, James. I mean, I, I think one thing I've learned in this is to seek, I mean, one, to seek the Lord and to follow Him. Yeah. I mean, He's trustworthy. He's the author and perfecter of our faith yeah. and is trustworthy in all things. Yeah. Even when it seems like the circumstances may not reveal that that he yeah. is yeah wendy thank you so much i really appreciate the time you've taken to bless and encourage us thanks james i appreciate, appreciate it, it. Okay. people can find out more information at greatnorthernu.org correct okay. encourage you guys to check it out thank you so much thanks friends for joining us on this episode of the canby bible college curiosity project with dr wendy liddell hope that you benefited a great deal from that bonus if you are a canby bible college student you can start with us to finish your two-year associate's degree and roll those credits into great northern's four-year degree it's a great and cost-effective way to get practical hands-on ministry training combined with world-class academic investment find out more information online at canby bible college Org. And remember, love you guys, but Jesus loves you more. Have a great day.